We're going to take our Bibles and turn over to Luke 18. I want to read a story from our study in the Gospel of Luke of a man who was very thankful to Jesus Christ. Luke chapter number 18 in your Bibles. Luke chapter number 18. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 34. And this is speaking of the disciples who have just heard Jesus tell them that they're heading up to Jerusalem where he will be put to death. Verse 34, and they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. And he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Roof up above me, food on the table, good place to sleep, shoes on my feet. God's been so good in so many ways uh, to each and every one of us. You know, when you're aware of God at work. That naturally draws thankfulness out of your heart. The Psalms so full of that. One of my favorite Psalms, Spurgeon wrote about about uh, how how it's it's, uh, it's really a, a sin that a God as gracious as He is that all of His goodness should be buried in the cemetery of silence from our lips. And the New Testament reminds us that we're to offer up to God. A sacrifice of praise. We're conscious that he's here. He's in my life. He did something for me this week. I'm conscious of it. I'm aware of it. That naturally brings gratitude out of your heart. But if you're not conscious of God, if you're not aware that he's there, if you're not aware that he's doing anything in your life, then you naturally will not be a grateful person. Thankfulness doesn't just happen. It flows out of your life when you're aware that Jesus Christ is at work. We're going to look at exuberant thanksgiving from God's word this morning. I want you to connect some verses to just because of the fact that we're in a ongoing study of the life of Jesus Christ through the, the writings of this amazing historian by the name of Luke Back in Luke chapter 9, we're in 18, back nine chapters ago, the Bible says in verse 51, it came to pass that the time was come that, they should be, that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
Nine chapters ago, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem and he was on a mission to go to Jerusalem. In chapter 18, our current chapter, verse number 31, just a little bit earlier than where we are today, the Bible says, Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. And then in our text today, in verse number 35, the Bible says, It came to pass as he was come nigh unto Jericho. And so Jesus Christ is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on a mission. And he's been on that mission for nine chapters. We've The last six months of Jesus' life, from chapter 9, when the Bible said he set his face to go up to Jerusalem, to chapter 18, where we are now, it's been six months in the life of Jesus Christ. And during those six months, Jesus Christ has been crisscrossing across Israel. He's even crossed the Jordan River and gone over into Perea and has come back. And the biblical account records a number of people that he has met and talked to about eternal life. And we've looked at some of the stories of those people in, from chapter 9 all the way to chapter 18. And now Jesus Christ, after all these meandering journeys throughout the land of Israel, Jesus Christ has now come to Jericho as he begins his ascent up. To Jerusalem. You know, Jericho is an interesting city. It's, um, it burst on the, uh, on Old Testament history when Israel got to the end of their 40 years of wandering. And there up on Mount Nebo, uh, on the, on the east side of the Jordan River, Moses dies. And Joshua becomes the leader. And he's got a couple of million people. On the west side of the Jordan River, ready to cross the river. How do you get two million people across a river? Get across the river and, and take the land that God promised to them. And the obstacle is Jericho. Hey, you've got to get some geography here, don't you? Let's see. Okay. If you can imagine standing on Mount Nebo, that's where... Uh, that's where Moses, where Moses died. Let me figure out which one of these has a light. There we go. So Mount Nebo, there's the Jordan River. Here's the Dead Sea. You go up the Jordan River. You eventually come to, right, there's the Sea of Galilee, Mount Hermon. And so you come down the Jordan River. There's Jericho on the east side. On the west side is the country of Jordan, the modern-day country of Jordan. And there's a mountain there. Uh, those of us who went to Israel stood there on Mount Nebo up over here. Uh, we were uh, slated to be there on top of Mount Nebo, looking down into the Jordan River Valley, see the city of Jericho, see the Dead Sea, see the city of Jerusalem up on the horizon. And we got there at 10 o'clock at night. And it was pitch black and no streetlights or anything. It was kind of a, <laughs> kind of a ripoff. But uh, anyway, we were there. And uh, we could see the glow of the city of Jericho and the glow of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, I couldn't see a whole lot else. But anyway, if you were up on Mount Nebo and you were looking across the Jordan River, you would see this massive fortified city of Jericho just on the edge of the Judean wilderness and a road that goes through that wilderness up to Jer- 
Jerusalem. And that's where Jesus is gone. They've come down the Jordan River and they are coming into Jericho and they're getting ready to go up to Jerusalem. Here's another picture. If you were down here looking north, you'd be down here looking north up the, the, the Jordan River Valley to the Sea of Galilee, Mount Hermon. Over here's the Mediterranean. And here on the plain beside the Jordan River is this city of Jericho right on the edge of the Judean wilderness that meanders its way up, I think, some 8,000 feet in elevation, something, I'm not sure, to, to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is getting ready to go up to Jerusalem. Moses dies on Mount Nebo. And Joshua is given the responsibility to take this massive city, which God miraculously gave to them. And uh, the city was not rebuilt. And to this day, you can go and visit the ruins of the city uh, of the old ancient Jericho of the Old Testament. But, but there's, a, um, there, there's a, a, another part of, uh, of Jericho that is newer than the old ancient Jericho. It's the Jericho that, in, that, that was then built and... Uh, and if you were to go there, you might be able to kick around the ruins of the great Herod the Great's winter palace. Before he built that, though, another little little uh, trivia. Um, this was the city that Mark Antony gave to Cleopatra as a gift. He gave her the city of Jericho. Kind of neat little thing. Uh, you ladies, would, you know, your husband buy you a nice little gift, some roses or something. Well, he gave her the city of Jericho. But then uh, Herod, uh, Herod the Great, sometime in all of this, before Jesus was born, Herod was the, was the king of uh, Judea, of, of Israel, uh, when Jesus Christ was born. And Herod built here in Jericho uh, a, a winter palace. You go up to Jerusalem, it can get cold in the wintertime up in Jerusalem. It, on occasion, snows up in Jerusalem. But you go down to Jericho, there's no time of the year where it snows in Jericho. You're, uh, you're uh, what is it, 800 feet below sea level or something like that. And, and it's nice, warm climate for those of you who like heat. And Herod the Great, uh, his, his middle name was Latimer. And, uh, and Herod Latimer the Great goes south for the winter. And uh, he would go down uh, off from the uh, Judean hillside and he would get down there uh, into Jericho where he could enjoy his swimming pools and his bathhouses and all of his stuff that, uh, that he built there in Jericho. So Jesus Christ and his disciples have come down the Jordan River Valley, and they've come through or beside ancient Jericho. Uh, a mile and a half further is the Jericho of Jesus' day and, and Herod's palace, winter palace and all of that stuff. And that's where they're heading. Herod was quite the builder. He built the Temple Mount, Masada, the Herodian, Fort Machiris, uh, Caesarea Maritima, and, of course, his winter palace in Jericho. And Jesus is right between Joshua's Jericho and Herod's Jericho as he is moving towards Jerusalem. In Jesus' day, traveling uh, north uh, from northern Israel, south through Jericho, you would then immediately go up to Jerusalem, high and elevated. Jericho is known as, um, as the oldest city in the world. Here's what you see if you go to Jericho. You'll, you'll see their fountain of water and Jericho, the oldest city of the world. They claim that it's the oldest inhabited city in, in anywhere in the world. 
And uh, if you were to go to Jericho, you could uh, uh, go over and get your picture taken right there beside where the camel will take uh, your money and ride you around the parking lot. Uh, or you can go in the restaurant, the Temptation Restaurant, which is right to my back as I'm taking that picture. And uh, up on top of the Temptation Restaurant on the next slide, uh, you can look out over the old ancient ruins of Joshua's Jericho. A temptation restaurants named that way because this is where it is believed Jesus Christ went up into the Judean wilderness and was tempted of Satan uh, there uh, 40 days uh, after his baptism. And so uh, the temptation restaurant, you go up on the, the roof of the temptation restaurant and you can look north out over the old ancient Joshua's Jericho, Jordan River's off to the right. And if you were to turn to the left and look in that direction, you would see... The next slide, the Judean wilderness begins. And so you're right there on the edge of the Judean wilderness where Joshua led Israel across the Jordan River through the divided Jordan River and came to Jericho. Jesus Christ is traveling south. He passes Joshua's Jericho. He's a mile and a half away from the Jericho of his day. He's in between the old and the new Jerichos, and he meets a couple of blind men. Now, the Gospels tell us about these men in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And a careful reader of the Scripture will detect some details and information that's in one and not the other. You have on your little handout, a little chart there, that shows that if you read Matthew's account, Jesus is leaving Jericho. If you read Mark's account, Jesus is leaving Jericho. If you read our account in Luke today, he's approaching Jericho. If you read Matthew, there are two blind men. If you read Mark, there's one named Bartimaeus. And in Luke, there's a certain blind man. And so for those who, who, uh, who look for every excuse to say that the Bible has contradictions, they'll say that this, all this information can't be right until you know a little geography and know that Jesus Christ was leaving one Jericho. As he approaches to enter into another Jericho, he's right between the two, making Matthew, Mark, and Luke all accurate. They're two blind men, but Mark was drawn to one of them and told the story about Bartimaeus. Luke was drawn to one, but doesn't give his name, just as a certain blind man. There were two guys there. Both were healed. Matthew tells us there were two. Mark and Luke are drawn to the story of one of the two and tells the story From the perspective of that one individual. You know the Bible can be believed. If you found a contradiction. It's because you haven't found enough facts. To know why it's not a contradiction. Let God be true and every man a liar. You ever heard that? (laughs) God's word's accurate. Jesus Christ has gone beside one Jericho. Approaching a second Jericho. And encounters through. A couple of blind, two blind men. I want you to meditate with me for just a moment about these blind men and what it is that this has to do with me 2,000 years later. I want you to see three subjects to, uh, to consider. The first one is that we have here illustrated a desire to see. A desire to see. The narrative We've been studying has introduced us to a lot of people who Jesus met. Some of them believed him and got saved. Some of them rejected him. And he had 
opportunity to reach out to them with love and compassion. But so many of them rejected him all the same. And yet here in this story, we're introduced to someone who gives every appearance that he has already heard Jesus. And he already believes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And Jesus Christ, who has dealt with those with physical sight but lacks spiritual sight, is now dealing with someone who has spiritual sight but they lack physical sight. Why do I say that it appears that he already believes? Well, consider his spiritual sight. Here in our text, the Bible says in verse number 35 that a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging, hearing the multitude pass by. He asked what it meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth. Notice what he was told. He was not told the Son of David passeth by. He wasn't told the Messiah passeth by. He says, Jesus, who was born and raised in the city of Nazareth, has come from Nazareth up in the north and has come down the Jordan River Valley and is passing through Jericho. And Jesus, a man from Nazareth, passeth by. And Bartimaeus knew who Jesus was. He didn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Because Bartimaeus already knew who Jesus was. He was the son of David. Now, why is that significant? Because David's lineage didn't come from Nazareth. The Old Testament tells us that King David's lineage would sit on the throne of Israel forever. The Old Testament tells us that the Messiah, who would bring about his kingdom for Israel and in Israel, would be a descendant of King David. King David came from Bethlehem in Judea. In the south part of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth was some man that lived up there in the north part of Israel. But Bartimaeus knew. He wasn't confused by the geography of where Jesus was born. He knew Jesus was the son of David. He was the Messiah. Bartimaeus already had spiritual sight. Even though he couldn't see anything physically, he could see everything spiritually. He knew Jesus Christ was the eternal Son of God. And he was coming right through his town where he begged. Hmm. You know what else he knew? He knew that the Son of David would heal blind people. Because the Old Testament preacher Isaiah said, In that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Isaiah, the Old Testament preacher, said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Isaiah, the Old Testament preacher, said, He'll come to open blind eyes. Bartimaeus had spiritual sight and he knew his Bible. He knew his Bible. He knew that even though Jesus came from a city in the north, that is a, that is a little bit deceptive. He is not from Galilee in his heritage. He is from Bethlehem in his heritage. 
And he is the very Messiah, the son of David, who comes to give sight to blind eyes. Oh, yeah. Bartimaeus had spiritual sight and he had faith. He had faith. Mark's account says that when they when they told him, Jesus calls for you, he got up, he took off his garment, he threw his garment away. I don't need that anymore. I don't care about anything else on this earth. I don't care about stuff. Jesus called for me. And my Bible tells me he heals blind eyes. And so when Jesus healed him, Jesus said, thy faith has saved me. Oh, not only did he know Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, not only did he already know his Bible well enough to know that Jesus gives sight to blind eyes, he had faith that Jesus was going to heal his blind eyes today. He had spiritual sight, but he didn't have physical sight. He lived in a world of darkness. He lived in a world where it didn't matter what time of day it was. It's always night. It's always black. It's always dark. He had physical blindness. He lacked physical sight. He couldn't see. And he had to deal with that every day. He had to go out and beg because he couldn't hold a job. He couldn't work. There's nothing he could do to provide an income. He had to find his way, maybe get somebody to help him, lead him out by the roadside, where day after day he would sit by the roadside and beg people to give him something so he could have a meal that day. Because he didn't have any physical sight. He suffered with the lack of spiritual sight. What we have here is a desire. Oh, all of a sudden, this is out of the ordinary. I mean, it's not usually this noisy when I sit here by the roadside begging every day. Listen to the commotion. Listen to the all the animals and all the people. What's going on? What? Hey, what's going on? Someone said, well, don't you know? Jesus from Nazareth is passing by. <laughs> and he wants to see. He wants to see. Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, old man. Hold your peace. Be quiet. No. I want to see. I want to see. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. As blind Bartimaeus had a desire to see. What do you desire? Jesus asked him when he walked, when he, Jesus said, hey, get him and have him come over here. Someone led him over to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and says, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want from Jesus Christ? What do you have a desire to have? And Jesus said, here's a blank check. Just fill in the amount. I'll cover it. What would you write? What, what do you have a desire for from God? Do you remember the day that you realized you were going to hell? And your religion couldn't get you into heaven? And your good works couldn't get you into heaven? 
And everything you could try to do would never make you acceptable to God. And all of a sudden it came crashing in on you and you realized I'm in trouble with my creator. I desire to live forever. And you came to Jesus Christ and he washed your sins away. (laughs) Put you in his family. Gave you a seat at his table for all of eternity. And you were born again into a brand new spiritual family. And it's all settled in heaven for all of eternity. You desired to live. What do you desire today? What do you want from Jesus Christ? What do you ask him for in your life? It's different for everybody because everyone, blind Bartimaeus, he couldn't see. He lived in blackness. It's different for everyone, what we're going through, what our situation is, what stage in life we're in. What do you want? A desire to see. I want you to see a second subject. A need that was met. Verse number 40 of our text. Verse number 40 says, Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought. I love this. Now, we know there were two guys. The focus here is on one guy in Luke's account. Jesus Christ took time for a solitary person, really two people. Do you know Jesus Christ cares for the individual? Oh, it's great when there's a crowd. But Jesus zeroes in on an individual. Whoever you are this morning, whatever the situation of your life right now, whatever you're going through in life right now, Jesus has time for you as an individual. He cares about you not as one of the crowd. He cares about you as an individual who will exist forever, either in heaven or in hell. And he cares about you personally. And Jesus Christ stopped. The guy came over in verse number 43 after Jesus asked him, what what do you want me to do? And he said in verse 41, he said, oh, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said, receive thy sight. And the need was met in an instant. This blind man can see the the, the darkness gave way to, to the brilliance of the noonday sun. He could see. He could see. A need was met in his life. Oh, it was that Matthew's account specifically says So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight. Jesus loved the individual, reached out and touched their face, touched their eyes. And in an instant, a compassionate Jesus Christ met the need that existed in an individual's life. What do you want him to do for you? And how desperate are you for him to meet that need, to help you in that issue, in that situation, in that problem? What do you do if people discourage you and say, shut up, leave him alone, hold your peace, mind your own business? God doesn't have time for you. You're a nobody. God doesn't have time for you. God only cares about important people. Was it Rand Hummel in his testimony a couple weeks ago that shared how 
He had thought that God didn't care about him. He only cared about people that were good and went to church. And, and he was brought up in an angry home, broken spirit, and didn't think God cared about him. You know, there are people today who don't think God cares about them. <laughs> but Jesus had compassion on these two blind men. And he went and he touched their eyes and met the need in their lives. Look at the final subject, the third subject. There was a there was a desire to see. And each of us need to know what we desire from God. What we desperately need God to do in our lives right now. There was a need that was met because God is compassionate. It met the need that existed. But I want you to notice a third subject, and this is where Thanksgiving comes in. Verse number 43, our text says that immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And he influenced everyone around him because everyone saw it and they were influenced by his glorifying God. And so they began to praise God. We see immediately that Bartimaeus began to follow Jesus Christ. I like that. The, the word following, the root word of the translate following means to in the same road with. Now, Jesus is on a road. He's traveling past the old Jericho, in between the old and the new Jericho. Sees these men. He's on a road. The road's going to veer off to the east and, and to the west. The road's going to veer off to the west. And Jesus Christ and the disciples are going to begin to send that road up to Jerusalem. And the Bible says that these blind men followed him. They got in the road with him. They went where he was going. They wanted to do what he was doing. They wanted to enjoy his life. This wasn't just meet a need and now I'll go about my own life. Thank you, Jesus. Goodbye. So long. Have a great day. See you later. They got in the road with Jesus. They traveled with Jesus. They went with Jesus. They wanted to be influenced by Jesus. They were so filled with gratitude for what Jesus Christ had done for them that immediately there welled up within them a desire to follow Jesus wherever Jesus was going. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's the normal reaction of a grateful heart. I'm going to follow Jesus and glorifying him. Lord, this was, this was, I, I didn't do this. This was all Jesus. Jesus did this in my life. I can't take any credit for this. I'm not smart enough to figure this out. I couldn't have made this work. This wasn't me. This is all Jesus. Glorifying Jesus. Pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one who met my need. Jesus is the one that's made my life worth living. As they glorify Jesus Christ. And the influence of their life on those around them. As other people saw the meeting of the need, the miraculous giving of sight, and then as they saw the reaction of this man filled with gratitude to God, those around began to praise God for what God had done. Oh, the contrast here is simply profound. He went from darkness to light. He went from begging to following. He went from crying out to praising God in a moment. The contrast of a, a life that has been impacted by Jesus Christ. 
It's no reason that immediately there came out of his soul a sense of gratitude to the God who had just given him sight. I wonder what your need might be and how bad how badly you desire God to meet it. And how no one can shut you up. You just keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. And then praising God for what he does. I started a few moments ago asking you if you knew anyone that was blind. You had any blind people that you personally know. There's a, a guy that I know that's blind. That has impacted my life for a lot of years. His name's Don Forrester. Amazing man. Went blind at age nine. A little boy growing up in Texas. A blind boy as a teenager. said, Pastor, I believe God's calling me to preach. And his pastor said, no, Don. No, Don, God's not called you to preach. You, you, need, you need to focus on education. You need to focus on becoming an educator. Go to college to become a teacher. God didn't call you to go out and plant a church and preach in a church. Don Forrester couldn't be diverted. No matter what he was told that he couldn't do. No matter what he told, it was told that he was wrong and what he was hearing from God. No one could turn Don Forrester's heart away from the calling of God on his life. He said, yes, but God did call me to preach. Thank you, pastor, for your counsel. Thank you for your direction. But God did call me to preach. Went to college, married, left Texas and moved to Fredericksburg, Virginia and didn't know a soul. He moved there to start a church. Totally blind. Doesn't know a street in town or a person in town. And his wife would lead him into a community and lead him up to a door. And he would knock on the door and begin to talk to people. His wife would lead him to the next door. He'd go up, knock on the door and talk to people. And Don Forrester planted and built one of the phenomenal churches in Virginia. Faith Baptist Church of Fredericksburg, Virginia. He started the kindergarten. He started the school. He started the college. I was told that that Don Forrester would get in the car and someone else would get in the car to drive him somewhere. And he would say, uh, turn left and go up to the stop sign, turn right. And and he would lead them all over Fredericksburg, telling them, okay, turn here, turn there, go, go, stop here, turn there. And he knew the city of Fredericksburg better than most seeing people knew the city of Fredericksburg. And God used him to plant and build a phenomenal church. You say, why do you mention Don Forrester? We were talking about a blind man who God gave sight. Don Forrester lost his sight and God never gave it back to him. You remember the three children looking into the fire at the fiery furnace? And they said, our God, if he delivers us, we'll praise him. If he allows us to die, we'll praise him. Because I've got spiritual sight and I can see 
God working in my life, whether I die or whether I live. And the gratitude that flows out of a life that's not dependent on circumstances. If God chooses to give sight, if God chooses to withhold sight. Here's a Bartimaeus who glorified God because God gave him sight. And here's Don Forrester who glorified God because God chose to withhold his sight. And used him as a phenomenal example of a man sold out to the will and calling of God in his life. Regardless of the circumstances that people would use to say, you can't do God's will. But he could do God's will. And he did do God's will. And he glorified God without the sight. You say, thanksgiving comes naturally and spontaneously when you see God at work in your life, regardless of what God's decision in your life is. Or you can't really even, it's not even right to talk about blindness without talking about Fanny Crosby, is it? (laughs) Fanny Crosby, what a woman. Only a few weeks old when she got an infection in her eye and the doctor was out of town and someone who claimed to be a doctor said what you need to do, told the mom what we need to do to get rid of that infection is to take these hot poultices and put them on her eyeballs to draw out the infection. And, her, and the doctor said, it's going to hurt her, but if you don't, it's going to be much worse. And Fanny Crosby's mother, with her little child just weeks old, they put that hot, it was a hot mustard poultice in her eyeballs, and the baby began to scream and cry and scream. And the mom begged the doctor, we don't do this. This, this, it hurts her. Don't do this. And the doctor said, the, the pseudo doctor says, we, you must do this. It'll hurt, but it'll be better. If we don't do this, then it's going to be worse. And see, and then, and the poultresses left her blind at just weeks old. Oh, I guess she probably grew up and found out about what happened and blamed every doctor and blamed God. And she was a victim of other people's mistreatment. She probably went through her life blaming everybody for everything. Here's her first poem. She wrote this at age eight. At age eight, she wrote a poem. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind? I cannot and I won't. Eight-year-old girl. That was able to give glory to God. Because she saw God at work in her life. You see... Where's God's working in her life? She wrote over 9,000 hymns. Do you know some of them? All the way my Savior leads me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He hideth my soul. More like Jesus. I am thine, O Lord. Jesus is tenderly calling you home. My Savior, first of all. 
all the way my Savior leads me. Blessed assurance. He hideth my soul. More like Jesus. I am thine, O Lord. See, some of these, are these repeated? Some of these are repeated here. I must have been sleepy when I typed this. Near the cross. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Rescue the perishing. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Take the world. But give me Jesus. To God be the glory. Tell me the story of Jesus. She has impacted people around the world. Because of God's decision to not give her physical sight. She saw what few people could see. And through that spiritual vision, God used her and uses her every week when churches around the world sing the hymns that she recorded and think about how good God is to us. And then we think that they were written by a blind lady. You see, gratitude is not determined by circumstances. It may not be well with your circumstances, but it can be well with your soul when Jesus is involved. And sometimes when your circumstances are not what you would have planned, volunteered for, or desired, Jesus Christ is using those circumstances to accomplish work that stretches into eternity. And even though it's not well with your circumstances, it can be well with your soul when Jesus gets involved. Bartimaeus received his sight. Don Forrester did not. Fanny Crosby did not. But Jesus was involved in all three. He made it well in Bartimaeus' soul by giving him sight. And he made it well in Don Forrester's soul by being his sight. And he made it well in Fanny Crosby's soul by enabling her to see what others didn't see. Yeah, Barnabas knew who Jesus was. He wasn't just this Jesus that was raised up in Nazareth. He was the Son of God who comes to heal blind eyes as the Messiah to Israel. And he had faith. And God met his need and used that as an example of the work of God in a person's life. But Don and Forrester and Fanny Crosby knew who Jesus was, and he manifested his deity through their lives as he proved his sufficiency to give them a full and a productive life without physical sight. Gratitude flowing from our lives doesn't just happen. It happens only if we're aware of what God is doing in our lives. And when we're aware of what God is doing, There is a natural flow of gratitude that says, thank God for what you've done in my life. What has he done in your life this week? What has he done in your life this year? When you gather together with family and friends and you have an opportunity to share what God has done in your life, what are you going to tell? What are you going to share about the work of God in your life? that fills you with gratitude.